if you can if you can make your way back to your seats we're going to get started and if you could open up your bibles to first samuel 17 first samuel 17 is our passage of scripture this morning and as you're returning to your seats uh one other announcement um Angel came and shared with me that there is a Christmas winter concert next Sunday, December 15th at 3 p.m. at Reading High School, and she wanted to invite all of you to come. So Angel, where are you at? Lift your hand up so everybody can see it. Okay, great. So uh, if anybody's interested in coming to the winter concert, that'll be next Sunday at 3 p.m. at Reading High. Thanks so much for that invitation, Angel. If you guys could open up your Bibles to First Samuel chapter 17, uh, we're going to read that chapter of Scripture together. And the title of the message this morning is The Dawning of the King, Israel's Champion. And so let's look at First Samuel chapter 17 and, and the famous story that many of you probably know already, the story of David and Goliath. So let's read God's Word together in First Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah and Ephes Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Allah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. Just a freeze frame here, if you could put the map up, just so we can see where uh, this is located. That's the visual picture. If you could put the map first, um, just to give you some bearings here, Jebus is the ancient city uh, that preceded Jerusalem being founded. And here's uh, Bethlehem. All around here is the tribe of Judah where Judah resided. And the, the, the Valley of Allah is over here between Azekah and Gath. So you had the Israelites encamped on a hill on this side, and you had the Philistines on their side in Gath. And the Philistines resided over here on the coastline. And so they came and attacked, and they both both armies took their opposing sides there in the valley. And uh, now you can show the picture, and it'll help you understand a little bit of what this might have looked like. Um, here you have the valley, which was really a, a grand stage for the battle that were, was is, is going to take place in this chapter, you've got Saul's camp, Soka and Judah is back behind here. And what you have is the Philistines back over in this direction. And you have a great stage where two armies are gathered together on two sides watching this play out. And there's this creek down on the bottom. You can actually visit here and um, you can go down and pick up five smooth stones out of the brook if you want to, to get a feel for what, uh, what David may have been facing. And uh, what an awesome scene and what an awesome set for God to display His glory that we're looking at here in this passage. So I thought you'd like to see that. Uh, verse 3, And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. 
The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Verse 12. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of the three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And that was about a 20-20 mile trek uh, both ways uh, for David going back and forth. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Allah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to to the battle line shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with him, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And now you see that theme again and again of of being much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. 
And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you were but a youth. Some estimates have it at about 16 years old. He may have been a little older than that, but he was young. And he has been a man, he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And David, Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. And then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, or God of armies, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. And then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shuraim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. And as soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, 
Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Again, the title of the message is The Dawning of the King, Israel's Champion. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, as we look and see this glorious story of your faithfulness to your people, I pray that our faith in you would be moved. That we would grow in our affection for the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, who laid down his life for us and rose from the dead. Lord, I I pray that we would catch fresh sightings of your Son. Even as we look here at the Anointed One, King David, help us to see fresh sightings of King Jesus even in the midst of it. And I pray that we would be inspired to love you all the more passionately and serve you all the more devotedly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, one of the things that uh, we look at in the Scriptures, Old Testament and New, is when we read God's Word, and this is sort of really a lesson for us as we're going through all of the Scriptures, Genesis through Revelation in our series, Seeing Christ in All of Scripture, is there's a, there's a lens through which we can see Scripture that I, I really want to advocate for us as really a, a hermeneutic in our science of interpreting God's Word rightly. We need to understand that Scripture is pointing to Christ. And there are sightings of Christ all throughout Scripture that ought to dazzle and amaze us. Brian Chapel, writing of Scripture, says this, In its context, Every passage possesses one or more of four redemptive foci. Every text is predictive of the work of Christ, preparatory for the work of Christ, reflective of the work of Christ, and or resultant of the work of Christ. Isn't that rich? And I want to encourage us as we're looking and reading the Scriptures, Old Testament and New, to, to, to read through in the Scripture and to, to look in and see the beautiful sightings of Jesus Christ, even in passages of Scripture like 1 Samuel 17. You know, a lot of times growing up when you would hear the story about David and Goliath, you would, you would read about David and, and basically the, the Sunday school lesson would go something like this, hey, look at what David did. You go and be like David. And the point of, of this scripture here, brothers and sisters, isn't, hey, go and dare to be like David. The, the point of this scripture is, this is what the king of Israel does. The true anointed king, the chosen king of God Almighty, of Yahweh. This is what he does. He's a giant slayer. He is. And so there's a focus here of the anointed one and what the true king of Israel does to giants and adversaries who come and defy Yahweh and come and persecute and oppress God's people. I'm I'm so moved by this image here because David, King David, as he's been anointed in the last chapters, we looked at last week in 1 Samuel 16, here we see in 17 just the evidence and manifestation of God's choice of him as the true king of Israel. We see Saul previously, and, and he gives way to the fear of man and wants honor and praise himself as king. And then here we see him after he fears man and covets the praise of men. Here, when it comes time for battle, Saul is dismayed before the enemy. And he, instead of going down himself as king and meeting this foe, 
he gives way to more fear. It's like fear begets fear. And we see evidence here that King Saul was really the king of the people's choice. But King David is the king of God's own choosing for the people of Israel. And this distinction, the sharp distinction between Saul and David starts to show up in the Scriptures here. And you see David really as a type of Christ. And what do I mean by that? Well, a type of Christ is, is, is seen in this. That the person and work of Jesus Christ in the New Testament is prefigured or symbolized by things in the Old Testament. And you're going to see here that King David is part of the promise that goes all the way back to Genesis 12 when Yahweh said to Abram his servant, that from you and your seed, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. From you and your offspring. King David is in that line of offspring that begins even before Genesis 12, all the way back in Genesis 3, at the first glimpse of the Gospel where the Lord says in Genesis chapter 3, the promise that the seed of the woman, or the offspring of the woman, will one day crush the head of the serpent. We see a fulfillment of that right here in 1 Samuel 17. We see a manifestation of that promise being fulfilled through King David as he, the seed of the woman, literally crushes the head of one of the children of the serpent who defies God and defies God's armies, named Goliath here. But King David is only the first fulfillment of what eventually arrives is the ultimate fulfillment of the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, crushing the head of the serpent. The ultimate fulfillment of that is seen in Jesus Christ, the King of Kings who we're going to enjoy looking at, even as we see King David rising up here, we're going to see and will call to mind not just the courage of King David, but the courage of King Jesus who came and saved us. Jonathan Edwards, speaking of David as a type of Christ, said this, David comes to the camp of Israel to save them from Goliath and the Philistines just at a time when they were in special and immediate danger. They were there for 40 days, as the text says, and no one would answer. When the hosts were going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle, so the Messiah in the prophecies is represented as appearing to save His people at the time of their extremity. I love that. Appearing to save His people at the time of their extremity. And you get this heart cry as you're reading 1 Samuel 17 as 
Goliath comes down for 40 days mocking the armies of the living God. The question just arises, and this is the focus we're going to look at this morning. Who's going to step up? Is there a champion for Israel? Well, we see an answer to that. Yes, indeed, there is a champion of Israel. Israel's champion, God's anointed one, the seed of the woman who crushes the head of the serpent in this text is David. But David stepped up and descended down into this valley to meet the foe. But gloriously, brothers and sisters, he is merely a pointer to the one, the true king of kings, who stepped up and descended down to meet and overcome all our foes. The King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And so I'm looking forward to seeing Him in His glory in this passage. In verses 1-11, through brothers and sisters, we see that Saul and Israel heard the words of the Philistine and they were dismayed and greatly afraid, verse 11 says. Goliath is defying the ranks of Israel and those those defiant words are unanswered. And so there's this drama that builds over the course of the 40 days. Where could a hero be found amongst Israel who could beat the Philistine champion whose size and strength and armor and weaponry and confidence inspired fear by intimidation? Where could a hero be found? Who's going to step up? And Saul the king should have stepped up to face him, but instead fear dominated him and every man among them. And there's a, there's a moral degradation and a disobedience in Saul's life that sort of gutted the valor out of him in this critical moment. And as I mentioned to you earlier, his fear of man amongst the Israelites and desiring the praise of men seems to have gutted him of a lot of his valiance that should have showed itself here as he should have been the representative to go forth. But he stays back. And just a way, by way of application and discipleship to us, church, in terms of our individual Christian lives here in this passage, let us take note of this, that holiness of life creates a fearlessness before men. We need that. Holiness fills our souls with courage. A man who fears God is not consumed with needing the praise of men. A woman who fears God is not consumed with needing the praise of others, but she lives for the audience of one. And it makes God's people valiant against the enemies of God because you're not fearing what man can do to you or what man will say about you. Your eyes are on your Lord. And pleasing him. It seems like David really had that quality in spades. He was so consumed, not with the size of Goliath, but he was consumed with the size of his God. Jonathan Edwards goes on the right. Saul was the king whom the people chose, but David was the king whom God chose. 
One whom he found and pitched upon according to his own mind without any concern of man in the affair and contrary to what men would have chosen. Men chose Saul who was a head above the rest. They chose Saul for his size. And they said, man, surely this man here is to be the king because of his outward appearance. But we learned last week that God judges men and women not by their outward appearance, but by their hearts. And here we see David, whose size was not formidable, coming out with valiance to meet this Philistine champion. And it's even a, a glorious section there where Saul's trying to heap on him all the armor and everything he was entrusting when you go out to fight. And David tries it on but realizes, you know what, this battle is not going to be won by armor and swords. This armor is going to be won because God is going to empower me to fight. And we see that man's choice of a king could not deliver. But God's choice of a king does. David is God's choice. And brothers and sisters, even more significantly than that, echoing down to the time of Christ, Christ the Anointed One, the Messiah, is God's choice. Believe in Him. Follow Him as your true King. Is one of the major applications of this passage. Because in John chapter 10, we see Jesus talking about, as King of Kings, that there's a distinction between a true shepherd and a mere hireling. And it's interesting that the King of Israel that's going to be the King that God is going to put over Israel, that's going to be a blessing to the people, is described as a shepherd. The king is going to shepherd his people well. And we see this heart of David who comes literally from caring for the sheep onto the battlefield and his trueness of his character and the steadiness of it. The protection of the sheep from lions and bears immediately kicks in as he sees the sheep of Israel on the hill. And he sees Goliath coming against him. To him, it's just like, there's another lion. There's another bear. And he rises up. He steps up in courage in the Spirit of God to go and do what no one else could do. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 12, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. I'm not going to run. Bring all of hell against me and the torments that come upon me in Gethsemane that are causing such stress and extremity in my body that I am bleeding drops of blood and I'm going to go and meet the foe the next day. I will not back down because I am going to deliver my people from the mouth of the lion. Oh, brothers and sisters, this sighting of Courage in the anointed one, King David, is meant to point us to the courage and the glorious stepping forward. 
and the descending down into the valley of our King Jesus. The King of kings and the Good Shepherd who does not shrink back even though he knows he's walking to his death. Oh, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of this. Drink this in deep this morning, my friends. Christ has fought for you. He's fought for me. And He has protected you from the lion. The lion had you and would have carried you off to eternal destruction. But God. God raised up His champion. And who will step up? Nobody else could and nobody else would. But when we sing, light of the world, you step down in the darkness. Remember this Advent season that He came and He took on flesh and He snatched you literally right out of the lion's mouth and saved you and I, believer. Oh, and if you're not a believer, please believe. This is the only way to eternal life. By believing in God's anointed One. His chosen King, Jesus Christ. Christ fought for you, beloved. Let that fill your heart with joy. He fought for you. And He descended down into the darkness. He descended down into the valley when everyone else stepped back and could merely watch. They could do nothing to save your soul but Christ. Christ, on this happy Advent season, took on flesh and stepped down willingly into the darkness walking away from the glories of heaven to come down into the darkness to save you and I in our darkness and bring us to the light. Be encouraged. Be comforted, my brothers and sisters, with God's personal and steadfast love. For He is the Good Shepherd who lays down His light for the sheep. Courageous men and women of God say, if God is for us, who can be against us? But Saul and the men of Israel, they were dismayed and filled with fear. We have a defiant enemy of our souls in Satan who would have loved to devour and oppress us forever. But thanks be to God who sent King David to deal with one of the offspring of Satan named Goliath. But as powerful as he was, he was nothing compared to the great dragon, the great beast whom Christ descended down into the valley to take on. And Christ crushed his head And as he's bleeding out now in these last days, and as he rages to do his worst, yeah, he did his worst. And he's going to seek to do his worst. He did his worst against Jesus. And I want you to remember the outcome of that battle. Christ was raised from the dead to new life. And he lives forevermore. And that's why 
Romans says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. Don't forget, beloved, in application to this, that we serve a victorious and resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. Though we are in the darkness fighting, and even though we are in the days of sorrow, as the prophetic word came forward this morning, All of this story that we are in right now in this fallen world, or as C.S. Lewis called it, the Shadowlands, is building toward a climactic glory where we will come before Jesus, the true champion, face to face. And we will enjoy victory even as we have it right now. We will enjoy it forever in heaven with Him. That's your current reality and that's your future reality if you're a believer in Christ. Victory defines you. So let us not live as Christians glum in defeat because though we are harassed by Satan and though the presence of indwelling sin remains, Christ has conquered. Christ is victorious. Let us take heart. Isn't he wonderful? We see David, he's faithful to tend the sheep, and he's actually looked down upon by his brother. His brother, as he shows up on the battlefield, actually mocks David with how small his task is. When he's there on the battlefield, he wouldn't step up to meet Goliath. But there's his youngest brother, who comes and one of the things he learned in the midst of the sheep was how to be faithful. And we see the principle that Jesus talks about in the Gospels that he who is faithful in little is faithful in much. He didn't run from enemies before and he's not going to run from enemies now. He trusted in God to deliver him from the lion and the bear and now he's going to trust God to deliver him from this Goliath of Philistine. Who is this guy? He's not impressed with all the armor. He's impressed with God. And so ought we to be. But this principle of being faithful in little and being faithful in much is one that I want to impress upon us. As well as this, I want you to be encouraged with the reasoning of King David in 1 Samuel chapter 17 when he talks about and he says in verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. That's his logic. That's his reasoning. God has been faithful to me in the past. God's going to be faithful to me right now as I meet this battle. Brothers and sisters, by way of application and discipleship to our lives right now, let us take on that logic. God has been faithful to you. He has enabled you to be faithful to Him. You have fought battles. And you are here. And there are battles yet up ahead for you to fight and for me to fight for the glory of the Lord. But let us have this courageous reasoning of David that the Lord who delivered us from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. 
Listen, I know you, like me, have many areas of indwelling sin that still remain that you can even fear are going to take you down. You have the enemy who is oppressing you and who is seeking to do everything he can to accuse you and bring you down. Listen, all that's true. And the battle is thick. And it's heavy. And our lives are filled with many dangers, toils, and snares. But brothers and sisters, do not fear. For God is with you. And I want to encourage you with this little sweet bit of evidence of His grace. This came to me last night. I felt like the Holy Spirit impressed it upon me. I I want to impress it upon you. Because I want you to be encouraged with this. Here you are. Here you are. After the many dangers and toils and snares that you have already come through, by the grace of God, here you are. You have come to church today to worship Him because you love Him. After everything you've been through, you've not let go of Him. You have been beaten down. You've been harassed by the evil one. You've had indwelling sin plaguing you all along. And yet here you are, by the grace of God, having fought in many battles, and I simply want to impress upon you this logic. The one who has delivered you from the lion and the bear and has brought you here now is going to carry you safely home to see Him face to face in the future. He is going to sustain you by His grace. Cling to Him. Look to Christ. Continue to be faithful with what is right in front of you. Because we can often fear the big battles that lie ahead. But no, let us just keep our eyes on the flock in the field. And be faithful to protect the flock around us. With everything that's in us. Like King David did. And then when the day comes, when you think you're just bringing bread and cheese to the commander. And God actually says, no, it's time to step up for something else. There's Goliath. You'll be ready. It's not by endlessly focusing on Goliath and seeking to do great things and grand gestures for God that Goliath gets slayed. It's through being faithful in the fields and watching over the sheep and dealing with lions and bears as they come up and doing everything you can to be faithful and little. Even though your brothers might mock you and people might look and say, you know, look at this little charge that you have. Oh, brothers and sisters, it's not little to God. He was forming the heart of a champion who would come down and meet Goliath when no one else would meet him. Don't despise the day of small things and don't despise the day of what you deem small acts of faithfulness. There is no such thing. Be faithful to your God in private. Be faithful to Him in your obedience, in your heart. Love Him with all of your heart. Continue to serve Him in the body with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when the day comes, when Goliath is standing before you, he will fall. And it will not be because of the arm of flesh, but it will be because of the power and might of our awesome God. So who's going to step up? Israel's champion's going to step up. King David in this passage 
But I love how it points to the true champion for Israel. The King of kings and Lord of lords. Who goes forth and crushes the adversary of his people to deliver his people and save them from their sins. And like the people of Israel, it's like we're standing on the hill and we are watching Christ do it all. We like to think when it comes to our salvation that we are the ones who achieved it. But God has designed salvation to be where His own Son descends down the hill where we watch and we watch Him do it all. I was for some reason just thinking of the scene and two towers where Gandalf just looks back at Aragorn and Boromir and just says, this foe is beyond any of you. Swords are no more use here. Run. And as they all run, they turn and they look back and they see Gandalf meet a foe that none of them could ever take. Mark you, brothers and sisters. King David took down Goliath. But neither he nor any man could have taken down your sin. Neither he nor any man could have taken down Satan, your oppressor. And neither he nor any man could have overcome death. Those three Goliaths, Satan and all of his demons, marshaled against you. All of your sin would have drug you down to hell and Satan and all of his minions would have been mocking and laughing you to scorn and accusing you all the way. And no one would have been there to rescue you. But there was one. The little baby who comes in the manger, Jesus Christ comes down into the darkness. He descends down in the valley. He grows up and He fulfills the law in our place. He's the perfect God-man. He doesn't sin at all. So He overcomes sin and becomes, and then says, I'll be the sin-bearer. Load me up with all of their sin that they committed in their life. Load me up, Father, with all of that sin and then hang me up on the cross and punish me. So Christ becomes our sin bearer. Christ takes the punishment that our sins deserve on the cross. And in the midst of dying on the cross, He crushes Satan's head. He overcomes our sin and the penalty of sin and delivers us from the guilt of sin and the wrath of God for sin. And then, to beat it all, on the third day, He rises up and defeats the final enemy, death! That is a champion of champions, brothers and sisters. And no one, not even King David, could have delivered you and I from it. We would have gone to hell despite all of our valiance and despite all of our efforts. But the good news of the Gospel is, is while we stand on the hill, hopeless and in fear of death, in fear of Satan, and aware of the guilt of our sin, God raises up His champion, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, who 
steps up to meet the foes and descends down into the valley alone. Like King David descended down into the valley alone. And thank God he took care of business. He took care of it. And so if you want to know why we're happy here at church, Christ, through His shed blood on the cross, has atoned for all of our sin. Christ absorbed the wrath of God toward our sin. Christ destroyed the dominion of sin. Crushed Satan. And overcame the grave. And now He sits on the throne. And even as we are still in battle, take heart. The death wound has already been struck. And now we, up on the hill, as Jesus holds Satan's head up in the air, we can watch the Philistines flee. And we can pick up our swords and engage in the fight ourselves and strike the Philistines down all the way back to Gath where they came from. We are going to advance this Gospel in our weakness and Christ is going to get all the glory for He is the one who was the true victor on the battlefield. But let us rise up now as the church. Let us go forward into this area and to all nations preaching the Gospel and taking the sword of the Word of God forward in mission. Let us remember on this happy Advent season that we've got a mission to accomplish and no one can stand before us because if God is for us, who can be against us? And though we are embattled, and yes, though indeed we are weak, God is going to show Himself strong through His people. And brothers and sisters, what happy news that we have to reflect on today. Is anybody going to step up? Christ has stepped up. And now church, and I love that image of David, young David, before King Saul at the end of 17, standing before Saul. Saul doesn't even know his name yet. And here... Here's how I come recommended to you. I've got the head of Goliath, the Philistine, in my hands. I just think, oh, victorious king. That is just a pale description of what our valiant king of kings, Jesus Christ, won in our salvation. So let us rise up, embattled and weary soldiers of Christ, and let us go forth with our eyes on the king, And let us fight valiantly knowing that in a very little while He's going to return. And we're going to enjoy seeing Him face to face as we sung about this morning. Let us in closing rejoice in heaven's champion. Israel's champion. King David, yes. But King David's greatest son. The true seed of the woman who crushed the head of the serpent who crushed our sin and overcame it, and who crushed death and overcame it. He is the one that deserves our worship and our praise. 
And He would desire for you to feel all the comfort today, brothers and sisters, of what His victory on the cross and resurrection from the dead has achieved over your life. In the midst of your sorrows and your sadness and your trials and your difficulties, take heart, as King Jesus said, for I have overcome the world. What an awesome champion He is. Isn't He, brothers and sisters? Can we thank God for Him? He's just... Awesome, 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 awesome. If I could have the worship band return, we're going to sing Beautiful Savior, and we're going to sing to Heaven's Champion of how awesome He is and what He has done. Let us stand and worship Him now and give praise to Him, for He alone is worthy of our worship and praise. Amen. Number one, starting in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Almighty God, we bless you. We thank you. We praise you that you have visited us and redeemed us by conquering Satan on the cross. Let us look forward with joy to your second coming, Lord, this Advent season. Amen. Have a wonderful week, church.